broadcasting live from Tristat, Missouri. I wanted to do that. Um, uh, we are back at it. We'll read the readings this evening. Thanks to those who are here in the sanctuary. Thanks to those who are listening uh, back home or somewhere else. Um, we have three lessons today. The main lesson that we're going to be focusing on is Genesis 4, 1 through 16, the uh, story of Cain and Abel. But don't turn there yet. I'm going to save that for last because these other two lessons uh, sort of help build up to that and give us a little bit of, of context and background and helpful insights into understanding uh, the story of Cain and Abel. So the first text that we're going to look at is actually Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 1 through 4. And when somebody gets there, will you read that, please? So, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'll start. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Okay. This is uh, the book of Hebrews. If you want to understand the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the book of Hebrews is a great place to go, and it's a great place to start. What you have here in chapter 11, again, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but what you have here in chapter 11 is the beginning of a pretty long sequence of character sketches, specifically about what these characters and how their faith was credited to them as righteousness. So the first one that the writer begins with, of course, is with Abel. And if you sort of look a little bit beyond that, you'll see by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, uh, by faith Abraham and Sarah, verse 11, uh, by faith again, Abraham, verse 17, by faith Isaac and Jacob, by faith Joseph and Moses, and by faith the people passed through the Red Sea, verse 29. By faith the walls of Jericho fell, verse 30. By faith the prostitute Rahab, verse 31. And there he goes on in 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So there's a long list of people that the writer gives here. And the... the the goal that the writer of the Hebrews, of the book of, of Hebrews, is trying to get to is really quite quite simple. And that is, is that it is not anything, and this is going to be really the general theme of these three texts specifically when we get to the story of Cain and Abel. But essentially, simply put, our works count as nothing. The works of Christ count as everything. Okay? Um, specifically when it comes to our faith. And we're going to kind of get, get to that as we go along here. So I sort of turn it over to you for, for just a little bit. In verses 1 through 4, does anything stand out to you? you something, uh, an aha moment perhaps, or just a question that you might have, have, have had, or maybe it reminded you of something else that you've seen in Scripture? I remember when 
verse just hit me. Uh, verse one, oh, you know, uh -huh. faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Mm -hmm. You know, it took a long time. It took, you know, all through confirmation and all through mm -hmm. maybe when maybe I was in my 30s and all of a sudden it, mm -hmm. you know, it just hit me. Mm -hmm. And do you remember where you were when you, when it, when it kind of kind of hit? Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> my husband was gone overseas. Mm -hmm. He's in the military and mm -hmm. he was gone and I was in a Bible study. Mm -hmm. Neat. Well, that that's that's really neat. Um, I don't know if very many people can say that they can read a verse and then think back to the time when it really sort of made sense of it. That's really neat. Uh, good. Okay. What else? I have a quote from Flattery O'Connor that, yeah. that I wrote down just because I thought it was so good it reminds me of that. <laughs> Faith is what someone knows to be true whether they believe it or not. Mm, good. Good. She does just a tremendous job. Faith is okay. Read, read that again. Make sure I get it right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Faith is what someone knows to be true, whether they believe it or not. Mm, good. I like that. Uh, and in fact, it, it's funny that you mentioned Flannery O'Connor. I took a class in the SEM. I forget exactly what the name of the class was called, but it was taught by uh, a gentleman who really devoted his his life's work insofar as his career's work to the study of literature and how the gospel his thesis is that the gospel is so prevalent in our world that it cannot help but seep into everything things like literature um, and one of the books that we read was were just I think it was a series of short stories that Flannery O'Connor had written so that's that's very, very good. Okay, good. What else about these these kind of these short four verses? Verse three is kind of interesting. Mm. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Good. And what translation do you do you have on? You have the the ESV. Okay, good. Can you read that again? By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made by out of what uh, out of things that are visible. Okay. Mm -hmm. It takes a certain amount of faith to well, it takes a lot of faith. Faith that could only be given to us to believe, even though we don't understand it. That the, that the universe was simply created through words, that it was simply created through God's word. Um, and when you have so much in, in science and things um, that are trying to prove otherwise um, and think that they, that they, that they have it. Uh, but yeah, by faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's word or his command. I like your translation better. Mine has command, but I like word better. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Good. Well, you know, you think of the Big Bang Theory or whatever. Mm -hmm. People can't comprehend the creation of the world by God mm -hmm. because all they know are things. And so they have to figure that something had to be there in order for it to go on. Mm -hmm. It can't just appear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's where our faith comes in. Mm -hmm. We believe that God's word created 
folk and not from something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have this uh, discussion with people who are evolutionists. I mm -hmm. say, well, how can you tell something that's five million years old? What carbon date? Well, how do you know that? Right. There's no way they know that. That's got to be a fake thing for them. Mm -hmm. Sure. But, yeah, it is. <coughs> but I believe that a tree could have been five million years old mm -hmm. because when God created something, He didn't create it by from a seed. Mm -hmm. He created a tree, and the right. tree already had age. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. things have age when mm -hmm. they were created. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I would not be the one to debate, um, because I just don't know a whole lot about the subject. I would not be the best one to debate a scientist on, on such things. I, I just believe it. Um, I just, I just believe what I believe. But, um, I do know two things. A, uh, Darwin, in, in his writing, acknowledged the existence of a higher power. And a lot of people don't don't know that. Um, and the second thing is, is that even scientists, at some point, you, they, all of them, they get to a point where, well, kind of like what you were saying, well, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, well, well you know, why this? And, and it, it may take a little while, but at some point, you're going to get to the juncture with, with them that they can't explain it anymore. At some point, faith comes into play. Um, uh, because science just runs out of reasons, you know? Well, I, I think all of us can conceptualize and, and get our minds around a time frame like five years or 50 years or 100 mm -hmm. years or 500 years. But when you, when you try to put our minds around 500 million, mm -hmm. who can grasp that? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it's, it's beyond where our minds can but you know, in God's thoughts or mind or whatever, a thousand years to us is like a second. Mm -hmm. So when I think about creating a, a dinosaur that's five million years old, you know, to God that might be five minutes. I just think it's old. Yeah. You know, forget so, the numbers. You know, it's old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No matter how you how you slice it, yeah, yeah. And to your thought about you know, scientists can only go so far. They can prove carbon dating as far as they can prove it, mm -hmm. but beyond that, it's theory. They cannot right. prove it beyond that. Right. They say, well, carbon dating was good this far, but mm -hmm. can you prove that it was good beyond that mm -hmm. far? Well, there's no way they can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, what does this mean by faith? Abel brought to God a better offering than Cain. Good. We're going to get there. Okay. Good Good question. I would use it as a segue, but, but we've got one more text yet to read okay. before we get there. Good. Okay. Anything else? Uh, invert, I'm sorry, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Did anybody pick up on the end of verse 4? Sort of verse 4. Verse 4 has three sentences to it in my translation, but the, the last one. And by faith he, being able, still speaks even though he is dead. Did anybody pick up on that? How do you think that Abel still speaks even though even though he is dead, at least in the context that Hebrews is written? 
made a statement by the, the offering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. That, that lives on. That's, mm -hmm. You set that precedent. Yeah, and I think that uh, the reason why God accepted his offering instead of Cain's is, is how he still speaks. Yeah, we're going to get there. So Good. Uh, anything else on Hebrews 11? All right, uh, the gospel is Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verses 29 through 39. Matthew 23, verses 29 through 39. And will somebody read that when you get there? Uh, 23, 29 through 39. Thanks. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your, how, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Good. Uh, so this is part of, you'll see it there, at the beginning of the chapter 23, seven woes. And in this particular one, he, he begins with, in 29, teachers of the law and Pharisees and hypocrites. And it's sort of interesting because, and we're going to get to this in, in a bit, but Cain's response to God after, he, after God asks Cain what has happened is a bit pharisaical. And uh, we're going to explain that in just a little bit. Um, so specifically here, Jesus is condemning the teachers of the law, uh, the Pharisees. You built tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them and strained the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up to the measure of the sin of your forefathers. And then it's sort of interesting in 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers. Where else have you seen that, that phrase? Can you, can you recall? Somebody else has said that earlier in the Gospels. 
Yeah. Someone else. Yeah. Yeah, it was John the Baptist, and I'm trying to, I just now kind of thought of this, so I'm trying to, is it in Matthew that he says that? John the Baptist prepares the way. Probably isn't, but it's in John. Uh, oh, yeah, no, yeah, it is in Matthew. So flip to the left, to so Matthew chapter 3. Interesting how the same phrase occurs. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can save yourselves. We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. What does that mean? And do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What is he what is he trying to get at? Or I guess in, in them, what is he trying to call out? You know, think because you come from Abraham that are Jews that you're going to be saved. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the old law, the old covenant is no more. The new covenant, as far as Jesus is concerned, again, tries to explain to, to them, even the Pharisees, uh, is standing right before them. Okay. Good? So we've kind of seen that phraseology before. What else in this text stood out to you or stands out to you? Or maybe something that you have a question on and I can do my best to answer it. And if I don't know, I promise to look it up. I just think it's funny how he brought the, the idea of the fact that they are descendants of the ones that murdered. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then too, Peter. Peter has very similar sort of scathing language in 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 his sermon. Well, I, I think he has in, in his sermons. Um, you killed the author of life. You, you Jewish people, you did it, right? You, the ones who were supposed to know better. There in verse 35, we see our connection to our uh, main lesson, which is in Genesis, uh, verse 35. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechai, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. And again, we're going to talk about why Abel's was righteous uh, in a little bit when we get to Genesis. Kind of interesting. Some when we take some of these Bible readings like this, it's interesting to me how many praises are in the the choir anthems that we sing. Mm -hmm. Blessed is he who comes in the yep. name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, there's there's some and the the thing about the lilies. There's a song about mm -hmm. consider the lilies. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me because the music involved. I hear those songs in my head. Yeah, well, and that's why it's neat that uh, that we're a church that, that that does the liturgy, um, because the liturgy is all. I mean, if you if you look at the liturgy, the, the liturgy is really nothing but scripture. I mean, uh -huh. I mean.
mean, every every bit of it is. Yeah. And what's cool about the liturgy is that um, uh, is that the parts of it that are sung, not just the hymns, but especially like in I'm thinking um, setting free, um, where there's where there's a lot of it that, that is is uh, sung. The music helps you remember it. You know. Um, I really <laughs> like our new worship folders also that we use. Mm-hmm. They have yeah. explanation on the side. I mm-hmm. love like that. Yeah, it uh, helps. It's a teaching tool. I mean, for lifelong people, it's a teaching tool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I can remember um, not this past time that we were at Higher Things, but the time before that, they do, uh, I think it's evening prayer um, is the one that, that that's in. And they do that every every evening and there's one particular part of the liturgy that when I came back here I couldn't get it out of my head it just got, I mean that I mean after a while it was just like you know um but it's it's neat how it just it, it, it just sort of gets stuck there and if you're going to get something stuck in your head it might as well be scripture you know good So Jesus is going through, and he's really, there's a lot of law, 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 from, at least in our text, from 29, uh, and actually beginning with um, verse 1 of chapter 23. And then there's sort of a, a switch in the header, perhaps, of Jesus' voice. Beginning at 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed? To gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's a that's a striking difference from when he spends how many how many verses? One. Well, he spends thirty six verses. I mean, at least according to Matthew, he spends thirty six verses basically just killing them. I mean, literally killing them with the law, and then in. 37, I, I, you could probably call it gospel, I think. Um, o Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks? And if you think about when Jesus says that, he can really say that because he was there at, at the beginning. He was there when all of the children were thought of. Um, I, 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 before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Right. Um, yeah, as a as a hand gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Uh, look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Now that comes from Psalm 118, and um, uh, I think it's definitely an, an allusion to Revelation. We see that a lot. Okay. That book too. What else in these in these verses stands out, or or perhaps something that you have a question on? Do their own thing and go the other direction. And uh, uh, 
house is left to you desolate, mm -hmm. if you were to stay, if we, if we are to stay with Christ, then we're safe and we have a place to be. Good. Mm -hmm. If we go our own way, we really don't have anywhere to go mm -hmm. because there's nothing at home anymore that would welcome us or mm -hmm. keep us there. Yep. Good. Yeah, well, and it's uh, you know what do um, and maybe and maybe um, those of you who are fathers um, or you know those of you who uh, have had fathers, um, maybe perhaps they did this too. But how many of you, when you were riding in the car with your with your mom, got this right? You know, she reaches over and tries. Well, the reason why she does that is is to protect you. It's an it's an instinct. It's just something that is natural to her. But just like it is natural for um, a hen to gather her chicks underneath her wings, why? Well, for protection. And really, if you think about that that motif, the motif of protection, Jesus essentially in, in, in verse thirty-seven, yeah, he's gone through for thirty-six verses, really, really ramming them hard with the law. But then says, I want I want to protect you. From this stuff, you know, it's you know he gets so angry with the Pharisees, and that's and that's very very clear. At the same time, we know from Scripture that the Pharisees were children of God of God too, whether they were um, from Abraham or not. They were children of God too. Why? But because he knows them, he knows them, he knows the Pharisees better than they know themselves. And so, yeah, th th there is this in this text. There is this sense of, of protection that Jesus really longs for. And but then kind of the part part B perhaps of 37, but you were not willing, uh, reminds me of Paul when he says, I forget which letter it is, but when he says that eventually God gave the people over to what they wanted. And um, it, it, it kind of kind of kind of rings rings true of the same thing here. That last verse, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Let the thief comes in the name of the Lord. Do you think there's kind of a foreshadowing of, of those Pharisees that didn't go under his wing at the time mm -hmm. that when Christ does come back, those who had the opportunity it's their aha moment. Mm -hmm. This truly was the Christ. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I don't. Um, I don't know this for sure. Um, I'm just now kind of thinking about it. When he, in, at the beginning of 37, when he says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem," it sounds like he's talking about more than just the Pharisees. It sounds like he is talking about all of the Jews, and. I think certainly in 39, blessed to see you comes in the name of the Lord, that those phrases are are there in Revelation, um, but my 7.30 at night brain didn't catch it until now. Before that, when did we see those words spoken? Yeah, yeah. Blessed is he, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And even then, they still don't understand the reason why they lay palm branches down is because when a great military ruler came back from war, that's what you did. You put down palm branches to welcome him home. Well, that's what the people are doing with Jesus. They still think, remember 
was it uh, was it two Sundays ago that we talked about the feeding of the five thousand? Mm -hmm. And remember that Jesus left immediately because they wanted to make him a bread king. They still don't. They didn't get it then. A lot of them still don't get it at the at the um, procession into Jerusalem. Um, and many of them finally don't get it until he dies. It, the some of the most, I think, some of the most. Um, what's the word I want to use? Chilling, I think. Um, this isn't a word, but I'm going to make it up. Goosebumpy words in Scripture, I think, is when the soldier, after Jesus dies, makes the confession, surely this man was a Lord. Surely this man was a righteous man. Um, and I don't, uh, off the top of my head, I don't think we know whether or not that soldier was one of the ones specifically that was involved in torturing him. Um, odds are it may it very well have been. Um, but it is really something that not until he dies do many of them begin to finally get it. Seems to me what, he, what always strikes me about this passage is that the Pharisees were the absolute epitome of churchgoers. Mm -hmm. They were the upper, <laughs> they were the talked about they would be wearing the nine hundred dollar yeah, yeah. suits. They, yeah, wore, yeah. they had long tassels. Yep. The Bible boxes were longer. They stood at the corner so people could see how holy yep. they were. Yep. And, yep. and they but they truly were looked up to as the leaders of the of the church. Mm -hmm. And what he constantly points out is it's not what but the outside that makes you what you do on the outside is not what makes you sinful, it's what's inside. Yeah, good. Sin. So it's not it, it, I, constantly in fact it's not your actions or, or what you are or who you are, it's inside that makes you from and sinful. So, good, good. And, and that's what they constantly are trying to make themselves more holy instead of looking mm -hmm. Well, so that's a perfect segue into Genesis because that really, uh, that that concept speaks well to why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't. So let's go there. Um, Genesis chapter 4. Um, we're going to be referring back to Hebrews, but in a different part in just a little bit. So if you have a, a ribbon or something to maybe put in Hebrews, I'll let you, because we will be going back to that. But for now, Genesis 4, 1 through 16. And it's not super long, but kind of long. So will somebody start reading that and read as much as you want? Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of the time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Uh, could somebody pick up there with verse 8? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, Killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. 
Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the grounds, from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the, the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be the, a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Good, okay. Lots to unpack, though. We're going to get to some of it um, tonight, at least as, as much as our time allows for. But first, remember when I said to keep your finger in Hebrews. Um, now keep your finger or something in our Genesis passage and go to Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, because this is going to help give us context to understanding this passage. So Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, why... If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would <clears throat> excuse me, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible by the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay? Um, specifically, specifically verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, so keep that in mind. Go to um, Hebrews 12, 24. Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Remember that Hebrews talks a lot about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay, so keep those verses in mind. Now let's go back to Genesis 4. Let's start at the beginning. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to Abel. You wouldn't think it, but in these two verses is is just a lot. Um, first of all, uh, the simpler of the two that I'm going to talk about, verse verse two. Many scholars, although it cannot be proven, obviously, but many scholars believe that because of the fact that verse one says that Eve became pregnant and then gave birth to Cain, 
But verse 2, when talking about Abel's birth, does not mention conception. Many scholars believe that Cain and Abel were twins, actually. Um, and I found that to be very interesting. Going back to verse 1. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said this, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, um, what I found out in my research with regards to this text was that Luther actually had the translation of this verse a little bit different. His translation of this verse from the Hebrew uh, actually says, let me get, get this right, actually he, the way that he translated it was, uh, I, I gotta look because I wanna make sure that I, that I, that I get it exactly right. Um, He said, uh, Luther's translation of this text, <coughs> excuse me, from the Hebrew is, I have gotten a man, the Lord. Does that make sense to anybody? So what do you think, he, so what do you think he thought happened when she gave birth to Cain? I have gotten a man, comma, the Lord. She thought she gave birth to the Savior? Yes. She thought that she gave birth to the Savior, right? Now, if you keep your finger there, this is also me, if you keep your finger there, uh, and you may not have to actually, um, go back to verse three, chapter 15, I'm sorry, chapter three, verse 15. In Hebrews? Uh, Genesis three, verse 15. Oh, yeah, so this is God cursing um, Eve, or cursing Adam and Eve, right? Uh, I'm sorry. This is God cursing the serpent. Um, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Eve thought that Cain was going to be the, the Savior. She thought, hey, I've had, I've had the, the Savior and this is all gonna, gonna, gonna end soon. Okay? Of course, we know that that, 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 didn't, that, that, that didn't happen. So, Luther's translation of this. How did the uh, ESV is pretty close to the Greek? What does the ESV have for verse uh, chapter four, verse one? Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, "I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord." Okay, so so even the ESV has it similar to what I I have. Um, the the pastor that I listened to about this text believes Luther's translation of this mainly because of what else we sort of know from scripture and we're going to get there um okay so uh adam and eve probably were twins might have been we don't know that for sure and eve thinks that she has given birth to the savior okay um another commentary that i read just as a little bit bit of a side note that particular author believes and i, I think he's got reason to believe it that and maybe this was the reason why uh, that Adam and Eve because Cain was the firstborn sort of Cain was sort of the favorite between Abel and between between um, Cain and Abel and if the translation that Luther has is correct and many people believe that, that it is um, then obviously Cain, Cain would be the favorite we just found out um, Nick, that Cain and Abel were probably twins. 
So there you go, Ruth. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor, so Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. It had absolutely, what we do know, uh, is that it had absolutely, the reason why God liked Abel's sacrifice more than Cain's had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that Abel brought meat and Cain brought grain. We know that in other uh, sections of the Old Testament that God liked both offerings. He liked grain offerings. He liked meat offerings. Okay, So that, whether it was grain or, or meat, didn't matter. What mattered was the reason for why Cain brought his sacrifice and the reason for what Abel brought um, his. Uh, but on Cain, verse 5, in his offering, he did not look at favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then here in verse 6 is a really neat conversation between Cain and the Lord. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Um, literally, from, from the Hebrew, but if you do not do what is right, Satan is crouching at your door. And we know that because in just a few verses, well, Cain murders his brother. Why? Because he's angry. Because he's mad. Okay. Um, now Cain said to his brother Abel, verse 8, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And now in verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Similar sort of to the question that we heard God, that we read God ask Adam. Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam is. It's a rhetorical question. Similar to this one. It's a rhetorical question. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? There we sort of have the beginning of, remember when I said that Cain's response is very pharisaical? He's, Cain begins to sort of he doesn't want to accept the blame, right? And I don't know the reply, am I my brother's keeper? Well, we know from the Ten Commandments, which hadn't, hadn't come yet, um, that Commandments 4 through 10 have everything to do with whom? Being your brother's keeper. Right, being, being your brother's keeper, being neighborly. Yeah, okay? We also know, uh, even earlier from... Genesis, and we we will assume, I think, safely that uh, Adam and Eve were good parents, even though they had sinned. That Adam and Eve had told them that had told their kids about er everything that had happened. Imagine that as a bedtime story, right? Um, so Adam and Eve would have explained to Cain, "Hey, we're in charge of everything here. God has put us in charge of everything here. So, are you your brother's keepers? Well, yeah, you're darn right." Because God has put you in charge of your brother. God has put you in charge, just like me, of everything that he has made. Okay? So we begin to see Cain's Cain sort of pharisaical thoughts. 
Verse 10, the Lord said, what, uh, what have you done? What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Similar language to Hebrews. Do you remember? What is that? What was that? Hebrews um, 11 something. I think it was the tail end of verse 4, right? Hebrews 11. Oh, come on. Eleven. Yeah, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. Sounds kind of like, well, the blood of your brother still cries out to me, even from the ground. Verse 11, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. If you remember the... Um, previous chapter, if you may remember the uh, curse that God placed upon Adam, what was what was part of that of that curse? That you will now have to work to eat. And in many ways, this this curse that God gives to Cain is a little bit more intensified. It's a little bit worse. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. You're not even going to be near it now. You're not even going to be able to benefit from it. Which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no, it will no longer yield its crops, for you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Verse 13. And we're going to uh, compare and contrast this between uh, another Old Testament figure and hopefully see the differences. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds it will kill me. What's missing? What's missing? In Cain's response. He has sinned greatly. And what's missing? Repentance. Yeah. At what point does Cain ever apologize? At what point do we ever see him, man, I really messed up? You never see it there. Instead, he's, he's, he's more concerned, just like a Pharisee would, about himself. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds you will kill me. He's worried about himself. He has absolutely no concern for his relationship with God at all. Sounds like today's society. Yeah. He has absolutely zero concern for his relationship with God or with his neighbors, let alone God. And instead, well, this is what's going to happen to me. Now, keep your finger there. The Bible is so cool. Go to 2 Samuel. And I actually just happened to find this today as I was working on uh, the adult Bible study for Sunday. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse... 13. This is when Nathan is rebuking David with his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Bathsheba's husband. Verse 13. What does David say? I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. You never see that in Cain's response at all. And it's just, it's such an interesting difference. And a contrast. If we are going to act like the Pharisees and that our work is what is going to get us into to heaven, 
then that, then our response is going to sound a lot like, hey, my punishment is more than I can bear today. You are driving me away and all the restless wander on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. That's why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Abel brought his offering in faith. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because, well, as Paul says elsewhere, God loves a cheerful giver. It's so neat. And again, the reason why Cain's was rejected was because, well, God wants me to do this, and so I'm going to do this. Obedience to the law does not save you, but faith does. Does that make sense? So you don't have to worry about coming on Sunday now because that's the, the sermon, so. Can't wait. <laughs> um, okay. Um, yeah, so I just love that difference between David um, and Cain. Now, interestingly, um, we're going okay, so let me, let me give you one more tidbit here that, that that's just going to really sort of complete the circle a little bit. So, uh, but then there's gospel. Wow. Good news for, good news for Cain, even though he didn't apologize. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord put a mark on, on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, now, here's where it gets interesting. Remember that Eve thought that she had given birth to the Savior. Well, if you go to chapter 5 of Genesis, Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, similar to God make, making us, and he named him Seth. If you go to, I believe it's Matthew's genealogy, chapter 1, it should be Matthew. I'm looking for the, the, the genealogy that, that's not Matthew. Because there's, there's another one that goes all the way to Adam. And that's where I'm going to make my point. But so far, I'm failing at it miserably. Um, oh, here we go. It was Luke. Aha. Okay. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, or starting there. And actually, go to verse 38. Luke chapter 3, verse 38. Everybody got that? Luke chapter 3, verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Does Jesus come from Cain's line? No, it doesn't. It comes from Seth. 
Okay? Jesus comes from Seth's line. Well, who else comes from Seth's line? It should say that. Yeah. Who else Abraham. comes from David's line? Well, yes. Methuselah. Methuselah does. Good. Verse 31. Who else comes from uh, Seth's line? The guy that we just talked about who gave the right apology. David. David does. Isn't that neat? That is really cool. I just have goosebumps. Um, so, Jesus does not come from Cain's lineage. Rather, he comes from Seth, a man who, interestingly, uh, Moses sees fit to put, revealed to him by God in verse 3, that Seth was made in Adam's own likeness. Okay. Um, so, when we think that we are when we think that that by ourselves that we are making ourselves pleasing to God then we are thinking just like Cain is we're just sort of going through the motions whereas if we want to think like like Abel did that's where faith is right um, I, I, I heard it compared to um, if uh, whenever we as church goers uh, tithe to the church, if we think, well, because I've tithed, well, then God is going to bless me. Well, that's exactly what Cain thought, too, right? Um, that's not to say that God isn't going to bless you, but that's not, but that's not, but because you've tithed and given, that's not the reason why. The reason why God blessed Abel was not because of what he did, but because of why, why he did it, because of faith, because, I, and again, I, the commentator that I was, the uh, pastor that I was listening to didn't mention this, but I am, but because, again, from Paul, God loves a, a cheerful giver, right? Not, uh, not, under, com not under compulsion, uh, but in faith. Cool, okay. Going back. Oh, just 8 o'clock, like by the second. Going back to the... Please, uh, go ahead. Cain's uh, lack of uh, repentance. Mm -hmm. And then you went to David, and, and then, of course, in Psalm 50, Good. Oh, good. I had not thought of that. Good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't, based off of what we know, based off of what is written in Scripture, Cain's heart wasn't broken. It wasn't. It seemed to be no guilt. Yeah. You have to have guilt before you have Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because then I think you, you, you could take it a little bit further and it's the spirit that causes us to have it's the spirit that moves us to repentance. I don't want to go so far as to say that it's the spirit that gives us a guilty conscience because Satan can use that too. But yeah, yes, good. Um, it's the spirit through the law that moves us there. Okay. Um, where was the spirit with regards to Cain? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but the same question could also be asked of Pharaoh. God hardened his heart. Why? There are some guesses, and some of them are pretty good, but the best answer that I have come up with is, I don't know. I'm not sure why, but God used it for good. That, I do know. Good. Um, I, see the, I see our world and all of this. So, mm -hmm. so everyone, yeah. Everyone's out for themselves, and it's always someone else's fault, and we always have to find fault. We can never take responsibility or blame for mm -hmm. ourselves. And it's just, you know, it's just, 
And again, it's and again, I, you know, I, I go back to the, the liturgy and why we do it. There's a reason why we do confession and absolution, like almost right at the beginning. And you notice in the, the in the liturgy, the confession and absolution happens before what? I mean, not immediately, but what eventually happens after confession and absolution? Communion does. And. Um, a broken and, and contrite heart, God will not despise. We confess our sins, and some people, and I, I can see why, um, because they don't. I don't think think they completely understand it. But some people may look at at our confession, depending on, on which one that we do. I think it's setting three. I poor miserable sinner, and some people look at that and think, well, that's true. But man, isn't that a, isn't that a little bit harsh? Well, yeah, it is, because <laughs> that's because that's exactly what. We are, um, and that's where God wants us. Uh, because then, a broken and contrite heart, He will not. We'll let that a broken and contrite heart He will not despise. Um, so, if you just to close the side, if you go back to Second Samuel, um, we can see what how Nathan um, finishes this with David. 2 Samuel 12, uh, David's confession is in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Now, he's been forgiven, but as, as we know, uh, there are natural consequences to our sin, and he has a bunch of them. <laughs> um, but his sins are forgiven. He wasn't going to die. Um, I did not do research into this aspect of it, but I, does anybody know, has there been any, any theories out there on what eventually happened to Cain? Because I almost wondered, when it said, um, we read something that kind of made me wonder, uh, oh, verse 14 of Genesis 4, today you are, no, sorry, verse, um, I guess starting at verse, at verse 12, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then Cain says, I am going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. God says, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who would find him would kill him. Um, he goes out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of, of Eden. I don't know this for, for sure. Um, but I will theorize, without having done any research on it, that it's, I think it's entirely possible that Cain was left there and he never found anyone. He was probably just a restless wanderer alone by himself. Possibly. And again, well, I, don't, I don't know that from he had a wife, but He had a wife and they bore a child. So. Oh, good. I'm sorry. Good, good, good. Yes, yes. Um, verse 17. Good. Yeah, uh, Cain lay, lay with, with, with his wife, and she became pregnant again for Cain. Good, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, good, okay. Um, but then is that, verse 17, is that the, the last of Cain that, that we hear of? Uh, verse 24 mentions him. Verse 25 mentions him. Um, 
it says in the footnotes here that the, that the city, like, likely Enoch built the city and named it after his son Iron. It is the first city mentioned in the Bible that is built by a descendant of Cain who is no longer able to earn a living by tilling the soil. Mm. So it sounds like he had just, that, that his descendants went on, but they were not important to the story of mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah, good. Yeah, well, right. And so, so they did have the Canaanites, which mm -hmm. are descendants of Cain. Are, are they not? Isn't that true? I don't know. That's a good I was thinking it was. I'm not sure. Not 100%. I mean, it, it oh, sounds I right. $100. <laughs> but I, I was thinking that Can the Canaanites were yeah. descendants of Cain. It, it sounds right. Um, yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, no. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but, again, interesting that that's really the last that you hear of, of Cain or really much of his lineage. But, of course, with uh, Seth, we, we hear a whole lot. Good. Um, Good. Uh, let's let's close there. Let's close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He lived longer than Adam. Adam lived to be 800, right? Something like that. I read that today. I saw an 800 in there. Something. Oh, it was 105. Yeah, Adam lived 800 years, and Seth lived to be what was it? 912. Yeah. Are we off the air? <laughs> <laughs> he was 105.